Hi, my name is Max Tanev and welcome to Brains Bite Back. The podcast that looks at topics that live in the intersection between psychology, technology and societies. This week, I'll be kicking off my mini-series on the new age of psychedelics with an interview with Jackie Stang, a prominent voice in the psychedelic and cannabis communities who is leading the way on making psychedelic knowledge more accessible with her latest venture, Delic Corp. In this episode, we talk about the psychedelic renaissance, legalization, the prominence of the patriarchy within the space, and even taking psychedelics during lockdown. Hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Publicize. Publicize is a digital PR company that stands out from other legacy agencies. They don't charge large retainers or simply send out press releases when you have something to announce. Instead, they have a transparent and modular approach to PR that ensures you only pay for what you need. They refer to this approach as growth communications for everyone, and it makes them the default option for tech startups looking to take their first steps in PR. If you want more information, you can request a free PR assessment at publicize.co and find a tailored PR strategy that works for you. And exclusively for BrainSpike Back listeners, for a limited time only, those who sign up for a 12-month package will receive one month free. To claim this promotion, visit publicize.co slash BBB. Jackie Stang is a serial entrepreneur with a distinct focus on building brands that aim to help people live better lives. In addition to owning four cannabis brands, Jackie is the founder and president of Delic, the first ever psychedelic wellness brand dedicated to public education and destigmatizing the psychedelic conversation for a mainstream audience. Delic builds creative platforms to have civil discourse about psychedelic culture. As the former VP of programming at High Times Magazine, Jackie founded High Times Women of Weed and the High Times Women's Council. Prior to High Times, Jackie became an award-winning podcast producer for Bulletproof Radio. Jackie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're very happy, happy to have you on as well. And to get this going, I first want to ask you if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, perhaps your own history with psychedelics and just generally how, how you got into the space. Sure. So my psychedelic history, <laughs> I guess you could say started when I was born. And why? what I mean by that is my position on psychedelic culture is that the world is psychedelic. And the, the word psychedelic means to expand consciousness, among other things. So sometimes that involves substances, and sometimes that involves just being alive and human. But my, the beginning of my journey with substances themselves was around 14, and it's been 22 years now that I've built a relationship with substances, um, mostly using them to train my brain, if you will, and I use them as primary tools on my journey to healing my own personal trauma, childhood trauma, and being a better human being and more functional member of society. And so, yeah, so I've been, they've been friends. We've been friends for a long time. And I wouldn't change that for the world in my own history. We're in a different world now than the one when I was young, going to raves in Texas here in the United States. And um, first and foremost, you know, safety is paramount. And we believe at Delic that safety is cool. And so we are a creative platform projecting the vast array of psychedelic culture, which is life, but also the idea that safety is cool and knowledge is power. Yeah. So that's, that's, I mean, you know, it's been 22 years. I think when you think about psychedelics, depends on what generation you are, but it's very much a generational thing. In a cliche way, you think of perhaps the Grateful Dead, you think of Tim Leary and the late sixties, um, early seventies, where people were doing large amounts of psychedelics sometimes in protest, well, mostly in protest, and then in, uh, for their other personal reasons. And that had a huge impact on the psychedelic renaissance that we're living in today. But while it's a very important history to pay attention to, we live in a, a much different world. And luckily, we're in a place in terms of research and our capacity to 
studied certain psychedelic substances now on scale or at scale, what does that mean? Ultimately, that means that we're helping people live happier lives um, when we come up with new ways for people to consume them medicinally under a practitioner's guidance to heal traumas. And so there's the cultural aspect, there's the medicinal aspect, and there's, you know, the recreational aspect. And it all, my position is that there's room for all of it at the table. And I don't have all the answers. Nobody does. <laughs> but we're here to ask questions. We're allowed to ask questions. And that everyone should have a seat at the table, not just a few researchers or organizations um, who deem themselves the psychedelic gatekeepers. That's amazing. Yeah, it sounds like it's been quite a combination of like your own internal relationship with psychedelics, like you said, since you were born and that relation that you've had personally, but then also seeing this changing tide and the many uses that they can have externally that is what drove you to found Delic. Can you tell me a little bit more about Delic and what you guys do? Sure. So Delic is the parent company of several different creative platforms, all designed to reframe the psychedelic conversation in various ways. One is realitysandwich.com, which is a really fun, street, punchy library of information. There's over 10,000 pieces of content on that website. It's all free and there's no advertising on the website either. So it's really a clean, low pressure experience for the consumer. And that we have guides about psychedelic substances. We have cultural references from 12 years ago until now. And we talk about everything on there. And then Meet Delic is the first ever psychedelic wellness summit. And that was a culmination. That's really my brainchild and a, a culmination of my personal love of large scale events and my experience from the health and wellness world, which is why people like Dave Asprey um, are keynoting. And then my strong desire to create educational experiences for people that are inspiring, because I believe if you can inspire the student, as it were, then you have a better chance of them retaining the information. And if they retain the information, they go out into the world and they tell their friends because they're inspired. And ultimately, learning should be fun, in my opinion. That's the kind of student that I am. So that's very exciting, Meet Delic. And we have an e-com platform that's in Find Your Experience, Upgrade Your Journey platform that is like a very highly curated boutique online experience where if you were to want to go and find the top legal ayahuasca retreat centers across the country or across the world really or the psilocybin ones or ketamine clinics you would go there you can also read content from people creating products in the space that go into a psychedelic lifestyle these are not obviously psychedelics because most psychedelics are illegal in one way or another, but these are accessories to a psychedelic lifestyle. And because we believe, you know, if you have one journey in this lifetime, and why would you not have the best taste or encourage discernment when, when purchasing things to fill your lifestyle? So, so those are the three items we're working on now, but we have, it's never just one thing. And I very specifically called it a corporation. It's called Delic Corp because at the time, this is two years ago now, I thought, oh, well, that'll just ruffle some feathers because there's this ongoing conversation and it, this happened in cannabis too of capitalism and these natural substances. I think that's really just a larger conversation that the world is happening anyway, at least in Western, the Western world. And um, I thought, well, we don't live in a binary system, okay? So it's not one or the other. It's not recreational psychedelics or medical psychedelics. It's not capitalism or not capitalism. There are many different buckets and facets to operate from within. And yeah, and psychedelics are really strong tools to help people in all ways, in their business life, in their personal life, in their spiritual life, really kind of hack through trauma and hack through distortion and the noise to get to a place of gratitude, hopefully, um, so that they can be better members of society. And so that's that's the long the long of it for Delic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And I think that's a really interesting point that you make, that we don't have to 
draw this line under psychedelics as something that could never be reconciled with a capitalistic venture. Because at the end of the day, if psychedelics are going to become more mainstream or not necessarily mainstream, but more widely appreciated across sectors of society that didn't necessarily consider them as options before, maybe because of legality or maybe just because of the reputation that they have, people are going to kind of want to mix in aspects of psychedelic culture with with business ventures and benefit them from in that, in that way as well. So I think that's a really cool thing that Delic is doing. And I like that you also mentioned about giving people information on certain plant medicine ceremonies as well. That's something that I wanted to touch on with you because I noticed that the stance of reality sandwich is quite non-spiritual compared to other certain educational outlets that are giving people education about psychedelics. And I want to ask you why you made that decision and how do you kind of reconcile that with the value of plant medicine ceremonies that are run by shamans or those spiritual aspects of, of psychedelic use? I am operating first and foremost from my own experience because I can only speak my truth and be authentic at the same time as a business owner. So it's a complex conversation, of course, when you get into the realm of spirituality. And my short answer is that we all retain and are attracted to our own mythos and our own creation stories. Um, we're all on our own hero's journey to shout out Joseph, the, the legendary Joseph Campbell. And so what someone deems as spiritual on the one hand doesn't then negate what somebody else deems as spiritual on the other hand. And I was brought up in a country that believes in very much well, for the most part, believes in religious freedom, at least on paper we do. And so there's room for all of it is one thing. And psychedelics for me are in intensely spiritual. I have an intensely spiritual relationship with them. In fact, I'm currently working on a piece about how psychedelics taught me how to pray again. I come from a Protestant, a very traditional American Protestant background. I used to stand on the pews with my grandpa in the middle of, you know, very middle America, Ohio, singing hymns and going to Bible school and falling in love with this iconography of Jesus or the guy with the long hair, going to Palm Sunday, all of these things, watching Ben-Hur every year. And for the most part, believing in Jesus until, you know, until I got into my 20s and started to become more liberal and decided for myself that my own spiritual path meant something different than what I was taught. However, you know, I have, I have this iconography within Delic and the saying that Jesus is psychedelic to point out that are all of these like creation stories, these spiritual mythos stories, whether it's mother ayahuasca or the leopards that you see in the Peruvian desert when you consume ayahuasca there locally. From that to the the long-haired Jesus figure who walks on water and you know turns water into wine and, and breaks a loaf of one loaf of bread into thousands of people, or Moses in the burning bush. You know, all of these things are very psychedelic, right? They're very fanciful and magic. And I would never want to encourage people one way or the other when it comes to their spirituality because it's incredibly personal and from my experience and my my own personal tribes experience people i love in the psychedelic community psychedelics when used thoughtfully have really like connect you to that human side but that spiritual side and how that how you define that's up to you and so reality sandwich is definitely spiritual it's just from my point of view. And there's a million, billion point of views in the world. And I think that's a larger conversation. I think when you get into it, the conversation about like indigenous spirituality with a point with a substance like ayahuasca or San Pedro, you know, that's very interesting. That's like a anthropological conversation about respecting the origin of the indigenous ceremonies and tribes and behaviors around plant medicine, but it's just one piece of the puzzle because at the same time, a substance like LSD is grouped in with the overarching term psychedelics. So LSD and ayahuasca are in the same boat, but they're not. LSD is created in a lab in a very Western motif 
And there's a different kind of ceremony and spirituality around that kind of a substance. So I think that, the you know, listen, there's enough space for people to project their psychedelic likeness or fondness in various ways. We're all very much the same, but very much different. And that's the, that's what makes us beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. And I definitely agree to your point about, again, there not having to be a binary between religion and then psychedelic experience or, you know, those two communities, there's no reason why they can't converge. So yeah, I think I like what you're saying. I like the reality sandwich is all about it's maybe it's not necessarily using certain lexicon related to the spirituality of um, certain experiences but it's definitely about everyone's internal internal connection with those compounds I also want to ask you about the wider attitudes about the changing tide of of psychedelics and having spent quite a few years in the space you will have been witness to not necessarily, I mean, I don't know if you would agree, but like how much more popular psychedelic use is becoming in certain circles that might not have been attracted to it before, be it through people microdosing because they think it improves productivity or people going to South America and doing ayahuasca retreats with indigenous communities or just general guided um, psychedelic therapy sessions. How have you seen that tide change over the last few years and where do you see it going? That's a great question. And my perception, and it's just a perception, is that it's a yes and answer here. So on the one hand, the rate at which people are consuming anything that's mind altering, and that could be coffee, okay, or chocolate, or opioids, or psilocybin, or sugar, right? Anything that is mind altering substance, the rate is not different. Because we've been consuming things like ayahuasca and peyote for thousands of years. And then, of course, through the modern age and technology, there's new substances, new analogs, new things that get turned into other things. And it's all about supply when it comes down to it. But I'm not sure that the rate has changed. But certainly culturally, yes, the popularity is becoming something different. And it ultimately is becoming more accepted, which is amazing. But you have to think back to the late 60s and 70s when people were taking, like, dropping acid in San Francisco in large groups of people out in the open. Like, that's one data point, but that's a pretty intense data point to say that even during that period, they were even more widely accepted than they are now. Maybe. Because then there's events like Burning Man, which, of course, they don't promote drug use at all, but, you know. It's definitely a place where people go and consume substances and like tune in and drop out. So to get back to your question, though, I'm super encouraged by the increased rate of the organized consumption of psychedelics. You know, when I was doing it as a teenager and an early young adult, this was all intuitive. This was all from my own network and very much not in like a fully intentional way outside of my own personal internal wisdom. I've always consumed these things intentionally, like 95% of the time, because I've always had a deep reverence for them. But that's not the case with a lot of people. And I have noticed, especially in the West Coast, so it depends on where you are geographically, but in the West Coast, it's widely accepted to go and consume psychedelics in a journey space with other like-minded people and a facilitator who creates a situation where you're setting an intention and you're being extremely mindful and you're really safe for the most part, I hope. There's a lot of this like journey recreational world that far outnumbers any medical or research world. But the, the situations I've been lucky enough to be a part of have all been safe. And they really, it's like an education to the consumer about how to have reverence for these substances so that you don't tip over the edge into the murky waters of overconsumption or hurting other people, hurting yourself. So that's definitely increasing. And and a, and a point I like to make about this sort of like division between medical research and like recreation is that 
the recreational world, if you were to just group all consumers, psychedelic consumers into two buckets, and it's, you're either a part of a research study or you consume occasionally, or you have consumed before in your life outside of a research study, the recreational world is so, so vastly outweighs the research world that we would be remiss and bad scientists to not have open arms to that world and capture the data, the data points and the the wisdom that has been collected. Because ultimately it's like the substances are the same in general. And then we, you know, we could talk about quality in another conversation, but the substances are just like the inanimate objects and the, and the behavior around consuming them is what we disagree on or we agree on. And that's really a human problem and has nothing to do with these natural substances themselves or mother nature, as I like to say. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Like when you compare the value that's been gained from all of the recreational or non-medical instances of use versus the clinical trials, obviously that's going to be way more just because they've not been done in a legitimate medical setting doesn't mean that they should be ignored. So yeah, I think it's it's really important to acknowledge that. But touching on the research, I want to ask, like, what is exciting you at the moment? What kind of trials have you been paying attention to? And, and yeah, what's getting you most excited? Uh, well, I wish I had more time to like actually read the studies. That's an interesting point to make because the whole point of Delic, I'm sorry, one of the main points was to take this research that was being created at the collegiate level and aggregate that in a way to a mainstream consumer because most people are not going to sit and consume information in that way. So I have lots of scientists and PhDs who filter that information for me and then for our consumers. But I think What's interesting to me more than one particular study is the vastness of how many are popping up. Seems like every week now because that's such a different landscape than what we saw in cannabis. And I think something that's on the top of my mind because we're doing a a free live bicycle day event on April 19th to raise money and awareness for a, a local psychedelic charity is LSD, LSD research, right? This is like this amazingly potent super substance that was accidentally found in a lab or accidentally synthesized into what it is from ergot, its original form, um, in a lab in the late 30s by Albert Hoffman. While he was, he and his um, research partners were looking for substances to help with blood circulation, people who had blood circulation issues. And this sort of like seemingly harmless substance at the time that was created out of an intent to solve a real medical problem for humans turned into like the sort of cultural hero or anti-hero because of, you know, the Tim Learys of the world, et cetera. And then just we lost a bunch of years because it became demonized as this like super scary thing, whether that was true or not, for the most part, it's not. And we lost so many years of being able to get back into the lab to research LSD or similar properties, chemical properties, and how they can help people. And so LSD research, for example, right now is very limited to Switzerland, Basel, Switzerland, to be specific. And yet in some studies, LSD is shown to um, positively affect anxiety and depression alongside psilocybin more so than ketamine, a substance that is grouped in with psychedelics. Mm, depends on who you ask to see if it's, you know, if it's actually a hallucinogen, but that's legal it, when prescribed under a doctor's care in the U.S., at least in certain states. So I'm really excited about LSD and potential future research with that substance because I I believe in it and I believe in its ability in that framework, right? In that medical scientific framework to be able to be shifted and pulled apart and manipulated in a way that could actually help people from on the pharmaceutical level, right? And that's a totally different conversation than ayahuasca. That's more on in the native spiritual 
non-scientific realm that we sort of touched on earlier. And that's okay too, right? It's like the Western world meets Eastern world, North meets South. And together, since ultimately we're all really the same, we're all one, together we can come up with like a million different solutions to solve human suffering. And how amazing is that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think there is so much really, really exciting research going on at the moment. And I feel like with each substance, it's definitely at like a different rate. Like you said, that ketamine could be administered legally by a doctor in the US, well, in certain states in the US, whereas LSD research is only really restricted to Switzerland. But I do want to ask your opinion on like the general landscape of legalization in the US with regards to some psychedelics. I know that there has been a push in some states, I think, including California and Oregon and Colorado for the legalization of psilocybin in medical use. How do you view this landscape having been quite prominent in the push for legalization of cannabis? And do you think there are any lessons that can be learned from those successes? Or do you think that psychedelic substances should be treated as a completely separate entity, given they have very, very different effects on users? Well, to start with the end of your question, yes, psychedelics should be treated per the individual substance that anyone would be referring to because they're very different and because they're different would require different regulation. So I can't predict the future and I have no idea what is going to happen for psychedelics in terms of legalization in the U.S. I can tell you what I think personally and what I hope personally is that we get to a place where we've acknowledged that consumption on any level is a civil liberty, at least in per our country's standards, and that nobody should go to jail for consuming a natural substance, while many people have and are still in jail today for consuming a natural substance or have you know, the possession of some plant matter, for example. That's what I believe, but how that shakes out in a modern world post-COVID, post-Donald Trump remains to be seen. And I think it'll follow, and it had it is already following a state-by-state format, which is exactly what happened with cannabis. Let's not forget cannabis is still federally illegal in the United States, unfortunately. I think that'll change very soon. But mushrooms, for example, or psilocybin mushrooms, are really kind of the next front runner in terms of state-by-state legalization, or in this case, municipality by municipality, having seen them decriminalized in Denver and Oakland and other parts of the country. I think that's definitely going to continue. And that's wonderful because in my personal experience, and I think a lot of experts would agree with me, psilocybin of all the psychedelics is probably one of the safest. And for lack of a better phrase, dummy proof, right? And I, me being the dummy. Um, <laughs> and and that's great, right? Because while on the one hand, we, we have this idealized wish of freedom for all, freedom to choose what you want as an individual, as long as you're not hurting anyone else, but we also live in a civilized society. And that then requires rules, boundaries, and limitations, which I'm totally down with because I, you know, I'm... I don't want people to run amok around me either. And I don't want people to get hurt. So yeah, let's legalize substance by substance and let's build regulations around them that protect people, not make people rich. And what we can learn from cannabis is pretty simple. Okay. So what happened with cannabis was there was a lot of lawmakers that got involved once the public spoke and was like, we want this, we want this, we want this, which is ultimately the, the power of the U.S. system, strength in numbers. But once it gets to the lawmakers, which is a much smaller group of voices, you know, a lot of these people didn't really understand the substance. In a lot of the cases, they didn't even consume the substance. So how can you regulate how cars should be made? How can you regulate what the sound level should be in in any particular part of the city if you don't understand what you're regulating. And so how do we get around that with things like psychedelics that are still federally illegal, illegal and scare people to consume? I don't know, but really like the people who are creating the laws should have consumed psilocybin if, if that's what they're creating the laws to surround. In the same way where if you're consuming ketamine, 
as a legal prescribed treatment for depression from a doctor who's never consumed ketamine or a nurse or a practitioner who's never consumed ketamine, you're wasting your money. It's like telling people, I like to make the analogy, I'm still working this out, guys, <laughs> by the way, but it's like saying that Hawaii is a terrible, awful, ugly, horrible place and there's nothing beautiful about it. And then the person says, you ask the person, have you been to Hawaii? And they say no. And you're like, well, I can't have a conversation with you until you've like been to Hawaii because then we'll be on the same level. So that's that's where I'm at with the state of the legalization world in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that analogy a lot. And it's definitely something that you struggle to envision when you think about psychedelics and the lawmakers that would actually be enacting any sort of legalization. Obviously, the ideal world would be for them to have had experiences with those substances, but the likelihood of that seems pretty unlikely at the moment. But yeah, definitely feeling optimistic and just happy that things are moving in the right direction. So I do, I'm just going to pivot the conversation a little bit to touch on something um, that I thought would be really important to mention after I listened to one of your late, the latest episodes of Delic Radio, where you talk about an experience that you had recently with an organization that you're actually a donor to, but I don't know if you want to touch on it here so our listeners understand what happened, but it was quite a misogynistic experience that you had, if I'm understanding correctly. Yeah, and misogynistic was maybe not the exact word I should have used. I tend to use that when I mean patriarchy, um, but listen, you know, we're all doing our best here. So you want, you have a specific question around that or you just kind of want to... Yeah, know, sorry. So my, my question is, like, I think the more visible women in psychedelics is going to be a really fundamental part of the psychedelic renaissance because it's traditionally a space that's been really dominated by men. And I just want to ask, what is it like being a woman business leader and just a general leader in the space right now? Yeah, thank you. It's super hard. <laughs> it's super hard and heartbreaking, but also amazing, right? You don't get light without shadows or shadows without light. And this journey for me, as I hope is true with any entrepreneur, is a healing journey. I'm healing myself by creating these opportunities externally and then hopefully healing others through my own healing process, right? My professional journey for the last 15 years has been filled with a lot of painful experiences with the patriarchy. At the same time, I've learned so much from that. I have like a PhD in business from all the things that I've had to face and experience and endure. And, and in many ways, I'm sure I have nurtured the patriarchy without even realizing it because that's just, we're all human and and we pattern off of what we were taught as, as kids and what we see around us. And so when you come out as a female entrepreneur into this space where you're committing to finding your own voice, being confident in that and staying true to a, like a, a level of integrity for what you're doing, it can be very isolating. And we talk about the patriarchy in this very general way, but I think it feels different for every person and every woman. For me, it's like, it's been wild because even men I love in some cases and respect kind of emulate that patriarchal master, like get into your place attitude or kill or be killed energy where it's like you, they don't even necessarily know that they're doing it. It's like this thin veil that's permeated our culture or this invisible thing, a lot like a virus that we might in our logical brain think, oh no, I'm not that, or I don't perpetuate that. But in actuality, you are. And man, it is alive and well in the psychedelic space. I came into this two years ago, a little Pollyanna-ish, right? Because these substances that have helped me so much in a good way, I ascribed that feeling of good to what I was going to experience from everyone within the space or the majority of the people within the space that were already here, like these big orgs. There's a couple of them. I refer to one of them as slaps. Um, you can probably understand what that one is. Um, 
it's not too hard to figure out. And that wasn't necessarily the case because, yeah, there's a history too of, well, when you have these psychedelic substances that create a sense of power or false control or false bravado, they can like, it, it can it can take you in one direction that's positive and aware and ego dissolution, and it can take you in a totally like aggressive masculine um, direction too. And yeah, there's a lot of white men, researchers, cultural representatives in the space. And that's for a lot of reasons. But ultimately, the energy of like an ayahuasca experience or the energy of these really grounding substances, to me is feminine. It's the divine feminine. And not in a like us against them way, but in a no, let's acknowledge the truth that it's called mother nature for a reason and let's open the door for that energy to come in to balance out hundreds thousands of years of that masculine energy and that masculine paradigm being dominant and i think another thing i'd like to acknowledge for in terms of women is just because you're female doesn't mean that you qualify to be any one thing. Gender is one thing, right? It's like one way to identify ourselves or to compartmentalize and organize ourselves. But ultimately, the energy comes from from within and from your spirit, regardless of gender. Yet at the same time, like I'm a female advocate. I did a lot of work at high times to push that agenda forward. And I love women. But there's also a lot of work we need to do internally as sisters to relearn how to support one another, to relearn how to, to slough off that masculine energy that we've like been brought up with, you know, meet each other and allowing space for each other's power instead of like the killer kill be killed attitude that you get from women sometimes where it's like, there's only enough for me. And I think, so I think that in terms of like the patriarchy and, and changing that paradigm, women can sometimes be way more dangerous in perpetuating that in my experience than men, especially women who are like underlings of whatever, you know, head of a nonprofit psychedelic organization or under the thumb of that guy doing his bidding. But that's just like, that's a general way of saying it. There's also like, oh my God, there's so many amazing women, amazing medicine women and facilitators coming up into the space who have been doing it for years, who have been quietly doing it for years. Because the thing is too, like men really take the shine a lot, right? They're better at taking the shine. They say yes more often. As a business owner, in my experience in curating events, men say yes more often. And for whatever reason, women don't. And we're, we need to start to do that. We need to start to step into our light and take our shine, not in an aggressive way, but like in a self-love way. Like you can't actually love yourself without acknowledging your light. And if you can't love yourself, like, you know, it's like cliche, you can't love other people. And, and we're communal society, we're communal species, we want to love each other. And so it's like, in a way, it's your duty as a female to figure that out within yourself. And so I would say that the, the space is ripe for like, women who have done the work, not girls posing as women, but women who have done the work, who have found some wisdom and are continuing on their journey to really represent these substances in a way that I think can bring a more mainstream audience in because it's like that mothering nature. You know, we all love mothers. We love grandmas. It can demystify it more than that masculine, like white male energy. Um, yeah. So that's the long answer. Yeah. yeah. I think you made a lot of really interesting points there. Definitely about, I really think it's important for women to realize that getting visibility and achieving success in their given field be it psychedelics or be it something else that is an area where men are getting the limelight doesn't mean adopting masculine characteristics to get that visibility and I think that's a mistake that a lot of women make like you said that they have to adopt that kill or be killed attitude because that's the way that the men are doing it but ultimately that's that shouldn't be the case. And I also think it's interesting that you said going into the psychedelic space, you expected everyone to be really cool because they'd taken psychedelics and that is often a byproduct. Well, not a byproduct, but like a, a really positive effect that psychedelics have on people that you do become more empathetic and more connected and 
just generally more of a compassionate person, I know that those are like the overwhelming feelings that I've had every time I've taken any psychedelic substance. So you do kind of expect people to just be really cool if you know that they have experiences with that. But obviously, as you as you said, that's um, that's definitely not not the case. No, and I think for me, it's it's important to frame this in reality outside, because we can, especially me, I can make monsters out of molehills, right? And what we're really talking about in reality, though, is like we say the psychedelic space, but like within cannabis, you know, my husband's been at high times for 18 years and like you could put the cannabis space inside of a room and there'd be like 20 people there up until seven years ago, maybe. And so that's kind of the precipice we're at now with psychedelics, where it's we're really talking about like a handful of people who are like a part of the psychedelic space, whatever that means. And really, though, we're all a part of the psychedelic space. We always have been. If you're in any proximity to psychedelic substances, have consumed them or around people whose energies reflect that they've consumed them. We are the psychedelic space. And also, though, that, you know, people tend to be attracted to the psychedelic the deep psychedelic space where that meaning like they do psychedelics a lot, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend because they're deeply traumatized and they're looking for help. And so we can have empathy for them in that way. But I would say that the doors are opening to a wider audience. I mean, this thing is growing so fast and it's great. I love growth. I love change. But the people from within that have been doing it for 30 years or whatever, you you can feel like a resistance to the new guy or resistance. And that I think is natural, but comes from a place of fear. And, you know, when you come from a place of fear, it's not very effective in terms of finding solutions and, and progressing. And so it doesn't really go with the subject matter. The subject matter of psychedelics are to, to evolve the human condition, which means progress. So if you're like, fearful of the new people coming in and you then behave badly as many of the people in the old psychedelic space have in my experience recently, then you just, so you sort of get like, you create your own little trauma fear bubble. We don't have time for it because <laughs> like we're here to change the world. We're here to be amazing. We're here to, we're here to like help other people live happier lives and you can keep your drama for your mama, <laughs> save the drama for your mama kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of counterintuitive because you would think that these people have worked their whole lives for a cause that is now gaining attention, that they would want people to join the the cause and jump on ship and help further these efforts. The fact that they're resisting the new guy, it's it seems very logical to me. I think they I think they do. It just depends on who it is and what they bring to the table. Like most business, right? It's all like transaction based. The only thing I can speak to is from my own experience is that being the entrepreneur and, and behaving the way that I behave on a professional level sometimes stirs men's feathers, women too. And I've like met my fair share of resistance, not meaning to, and my intention is always genuine, but that doesn't change the fact that I could, you know, ruffle a Petri dish here and there or shake a Petri dish here and there and other people or trigger people without even knowing it. And so that's like, ultimately, that's their problem. And what people do has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them. And so we're all healing. We're all on this journey. The more people we can bring into this, the better. And there's going to be the people that are like uber capitalistic and like don't feel so great. And that's okay, too, because we can learn from them. And then there's going to be the like evangelists who are like, no, it has to be this way. It's always been this way. We hate change, whatever. And then there's going to be this sort of tech, thoughtful, innovative middle that's going to be relaxed enough to be creative enough. And then when you're creative, you solve problems. Yeah, I think that's the section I'm most excited about, the tech, thoughtful, innovative middle. I like the way you described it. Well, we're here um, in Venice and Venice, California is really like kind of the new epicenter for Silicon Valley, it's like a really special place to be. And like you, I think you mentioned earlier, like the the microdosing culture felt like it came out of the Silicon Valley culture, which makes a lot of sense because these are high performing people who don't want to like go down for 12 hours at a time because they took a full dose of LSD. They want the healing and energetic properties of it, but they don't want to change 
their actual daily functionality. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's definitely a very interesting thing that people are getting into right now with um, with microdosing. So just to pivot again, I did want to finish up by addressing the context in which we are having this conversation, which is under quarantine. We're both in isolation right now because of COVID-19. And I just want to finish off by asking you about how you're seeing people's psychedelics experiences help them through these tricky times or how your psychedelic experiences are helping you get some perspective on the circumstances that we're in at the moment yeah i think it's too early to to come up with a a full breathy answer of how people utilize psychedelics within this time because it's so new but so i can only speculate i will say though that in the world and worlds, the multi-dimensions that I live in, people have been feeling this for a long time. And especially within the psychedelic space, you become, depending on the night, the day, the substance, the whatever, um, really attuned, really, a sense, really sensitive to what's on the horizon or what's just out of reach. Like you can't really see it, but you know it's there. And these energies that like can come over you. If you're a very sensitive person, you know, people, there's many different levels of people um, who consume psychedelics and many different levels of experiences in terms of depth. But I think that people have been feeling this in the psychedelic community at large for a very long time, this shift, right? So I would imagine that that psychedelics have already, you know, they've already played a role in it in that way. And I think that it's maybe too soon to just flippantly kind of like use psychedelics just because you're in quarantine. Again, I'm not like, you know, I'm not a shaman. I'm not a, I'm not an expert, but I'm only an expert in my own experience. And because they're so powerful and because they can desensitize you, it might be too soon for some people to unload that without having the proper resources if something become something comes up that's very challenging because there's a lot of challenging things that are going on. If you don't have the resources to call someone or go see a therapist for integration or whatever, I like to say there's no rush. They're always going to be there. And you know they speak to you. When you want to do it, you know, and you go and you find a way to do it. But having like a regiment about it, I think, I don't know. Not for me. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's definitely like doing psychedelics whilst in quarantine is like a very personal decision that everyone would just need to base on their own experiences. But I think what I was more kind of indicating towards, maybe I didn't phrase it correctly, was like the learnings that you've had from your psychedelic experiences Mm. over the years. Like how can we apply those learnings or how are you applying those learnings to be able to like I guess, like mentally deal with what's going on in the world right now, because like, you know, we can all, I feel like there's definitely a tendency of people that are like, you know, safe with a roof over our heads and, you know, ongoing work. We're not like economically put out by this pandemic. I mean, I can speak for myself and I definitely have like caught myself feeling too privileged to struggle with anything that's going on right now, which I also think is dangerous, but then obviously everyone is allowed to feel what they feel and any like mental struggle that comes from the uncertainty is absolutely legitimate. So I think a lot of the learnings that I and the other people that I have spoken to have had from psychedelics are really applicable right now. Yeah, no, I I understand your question better. Sorry, that's my dog in the back, little Snoop Snoop Dogg. Um, (laughs) For me, it's about resilience, being resilient, finding resiliency and channeling my anxious energy quickly and in a positive way in these like trying times. And here's the thing, we're all cogs in the wheel and I'm a privileged, wildly privileged person who is currently staring at the the Pacific ocean from Venice beach. And like my, as a business owner, who's run a remote company for many years, my daily life hasn't changed much. In fact, more opportunities have arisen. And that is so unique in this epidemic world. And I believe firmly that a lot of the work I've done recently with psychedelics have allowed me to find a grounding and an optimism and the ability to see beyond 
the pain, to feel the pain. It's allowed me to feel the pain of the world and the, my surroundings and the, my loved ones and the fear of it hurting my loved ones and the sorrow that you imagine that your brothers and sisters feel when they are, you know, their loved one dies and they wasn't, they weren't able to be in the room with them. Like that's like the human tragic part is so palpable and is so motivating to me in this privileged position to then do continued work on myself, to work harder at Delic, to keep my body um, in good immunity and to like, you know, keep this ship, working well so that I can become a better active member of society to help those less fortunate. Like that's our, your duty in my opinion as an, a privileged person. So you're just, you just become like a super helper to those who aren't in the position to help themselves. And you know, psychedelics can be a hack inside or outside any, any epidemic. They can be a hack in terms of human performance to allow you to like cut through the BS and get to solutions faster and fix neural pathways quicker because we all like changing habits. The reason it's so hard is because your brain is so good at building neural pathways. When you build the wrong neural pathways, as many of us do through trauma or mirroring growing up, you know, the first 20, 26 years of our life, it takes like a lot of discipline and effort to, to break those neural pathways. It's not because you don't have the willpower to do it. It's because like, no, the body's really magical. <laughs> it's like really good at doing what it thinks it's supposed to be doing. You just have to retell it what to do. And so psychedelics are really helpful in like breaking those patterns and like creating new positive ones. And so when you can be in moments of distress, like an epidemic with a positive outlook and you can see the silver linings, then you really become, come through it on a positive way. Because the other alternative as a privileged person or someone who's not currently ailing from COVID or its effects is to what? Is to like succumb to the fear and to succumb to the pain and suffering, which of course you have have in moments, like, yeah, you got to feel your feelings, but then you got to get back out there and like pull your boots up and get back to work. As, at least that's my perspective. Yeah. Um, no, I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. And I think that in times like this, it's really important to make sure that there is solidarity. And I think that that is definitely coming to the forefront, you know, globally in the midst of this pandemic. So it's a very, very stressful time. And like you said, there will be moments of anxiety and there will be moments of stress and sadness, no matter what situation that you're in. But having that perspective is really important. And psychedelics is something that, that can help people gain that. So yeah, Jackie, I think that's a really good place to end the podcast. I want to thank you again for coming on. Um, and speaking to me today. It's been a really great conversation. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was super fun. Here to help. Thank you so much. Once again, thank you to our sponsor, Publicize. If you want to find out more about their PR packages, the free resources they have available, or receive a free PR assessment, you can visit their website. And for a limited time only, Brains Bite Back listeners will receive one month free with a 12-month package at publicize.co slash bbb. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. If you are interested in listening to more podcasts, head to sociable.co or follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We love hearing what you thought of the show, so don't hesitate to tweet us at, at the sociable. And we really hope you enjoyed today's episode and hold tight for the rest of this mini series to learn more about this new age of psychedelics. <laughs> <laughs>